welcome back to the Gay 15 interview for our very first podcast of 2022. And I'm Andy, and your host of this monthly discussion with experts and amazing guests from throughout our Homeland Security community. This is the fourth, usually, of our four Gay 15 monthly podcasts, though this month, because of some exciting adventures that Dave Pounder's experienced while gallivanting around the globe, we're a little bit out of order, but we'll talk about that more in some upcoming podcasts. But the usual uh, order includes the Risk Roundtable, Jen Walker's a cybersecurity evangelist, and Dave Pounder's Nerd Out discussion. Please subscribe and listen and learn more about the threats and risks facing us every day. This month, I'm very grateful to be joined by a fantastic colleague I've known for, I don't know, Ronnie, five or six or maybe 10 years. Honestly, I can't remember. Yeah. For sure, but <laughs> I was, I was going to say, it, so I actually know how long we've known each other. So because we met over at Fishby when we initially That's started right. this whole BEC fight. Right. So it's been, it's been six to seven years that, we, that we've known each other. Time does rip by. I know, I know, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so as I've already gotten ahead of myself here. I'm joined by, like I said, an awesome colleague. So around six, seven years. Um, and Ronnie, I think if I, if I say your name correctly, you can correct me if I butcher it, but Ronnie Takazowski. Right, uh, yeah, I was like, it, it's it's pronounced Tokozowski, but like I've heard Tokoshatsky, Taco Katsky, <laughs> uh, you name it, I've I've heard it. So you're well, good, man. With your with your affinity for cats, that might fit pretty well. So exactly, pop tart cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ronnie is a renowned lover of malware, business email compromise, subject matter expert, a wild hair loving, always passionate cybercrime fighting superstar, and currently the principal threat advisor at Cofence. Ronnie, thank you so much for making time out to talk with me. And I should note that while we don't typically share video on the Gay 15 podcast, those are available on your normal podcast channels, Ronnie's going to also post this on his YouTube. So a little fun mix of video and audio uh, for this podcast recording. So Ronnie, again, thanks for making time. Really excited about you. Thanks for team at CoFence, which is a fire call located right nearby me in lovely Leesburg, Virginia, where we first met, as we noted earlier, when back when it was Fish Me. So can you take a moment to introduce yourself to those that are listening? Yeah, I can go ahead and introduce myself. Recording just okay. All right, so, no, that's a glitch oh, on me. That's a glitch on you're me. good. You're good. <laughs> uh, so I'll go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, my name is uh, Ronnie Tokazowski, and as you said, I'm a principal threat advisor here at the Cofence. Um, and what I do is I specialize in all things Nigerian fraud. Um, I initially started tracking the Nigerian fraud side as business email compromise which was a type of phishing email where somebody would pretend to be the CEO of an organization. They would send an email to somebody within the, the company and say, hey, I need you to do this wire transfer for me. Um, and that's how I initially got into it, was tracking that type, those type of threats, which ballooned into all of these other wonderful things that we'll be covering on here. Um, in my past, uh, as you mentioned, I've done a lot of reversing of malware, uh, so much so that my Twitter handle is actually iHeartMalware because I love reverse and reversing malware. I always like trying to get behind the mind of the of the malware and trying to understand like what the motivation was behind the stuff. Um, I enjoyed writing different cryptors that would actually decrypt or uh, decryptors rather that would decode a lot of the traffic for the malware attacks. Um, I liked playing with APT1. I liked playing with a lot of other uh, Chinese threat actors. Um, and it was just been a fun time on just tracking a lot of stuff. But yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Uh, put that put my APT hat on the shelf, and I've been doing all things Nigerian fraud now. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you keep a, a, a small eye on all these other areas, even if you're not diving into them as deeply as you did in the past. But Ronnie shared his Twitter address. Uh, we'll make that available in our show notes, along with other information where you can find Ronnie and learn more about him, including his YouTube channel, for those of you that aren't already subscribed. But Ronnie, BC is a big part we're going to talk about today. That's where you know we're touching on in a number of ways right now. So let me talk about that a little bit. You've been We've been working together on a, a project uh, touching that enduring threat of business email compromise, BEC. 
Um, really appreciate that. To start, thanks to you and CoFence for your contribution to that effort with Faith-Based Dye Sal. We'll come back to that maybe as we wrap up and I'll talk a bit more about that event, but you're awesome, man. I really appreciate it. So this is a massive problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in April, 2020, the FBI reported they had received complaints totaling more than 2.1 billion in actual losses. And just in case you weren't sure if you heard me right, for anybody listening, that's a billion with a B, right? 2.1 billion in actual losses from BEC scams just relating to two popular cloud-based email services. So a lot more other loss. Can you take some time and just take as long as you want, to be honest, to explain what BEC is? I know it's a broad umbrella term and why it is such an ongoing issue. Sure, I can articulate what business email compromise in one small little graphic. And what for those who are on the call listening to this podcast, I'm literally holding up a little dumpster fire <laughs> because that's the only way I can actually articulate what business email compromise is. Um, so to kind of take that step back and kind of walk through where we are, what it is, the things it touches and all the other little dark things that are overlapping and related to it. So when it comes to business email compromise, that line is a very murky line. Um, it's something where as we track it in the industry, uh, the main definition of it, like I said, it was that email attack where your CEO or your fake CEO sends an email to somebody within the organization to say, hey, can you wire money for me? But as we started tracking the stuff and as we started looking at it and understanding all the other facets that play into this, when those bank accounts would come in from those email accounts and when they, when they were saying, hey, can you wire this money for me? We ended up finding instances where a lot of names, a lot of addresses were being used and there was really no split to figure out where it was. So early on, we started discovering that for this business email compromise attack that is targeting an organization, you also have romance scams that play into that. And it sounds like a really weird and awkward jump to go from, okay, how can you have something where a company is being targeted going to a consumer-based fraud? But the way the jump is and kind of the way that plays out is that the scammers will will have the romance victims open up bank accounts for them. So in many cases, a lot of those bank accounts that the victim opens are being used as um, as areas where they can launder the money. So what will happen is the victims will receive the money. They'll move the, the money for, on behalf of the scammer, usually under some other story. Um, and like your romance victim, maybe they think it's something for an inheritance. They may think it's some type of thing that they're moving for their lover. And there's the stories, the stories are endless with how they'll, how they'll get them to move the money. <clears throat> But once they move the money, it usually goes back to another victim and to another victim until it finally makes its way back to, uh, to where it can be successfully cashed out. And what we discovered was with a lot of the business email compromise attacks we were tracking, you also had this element where the romance victims were being pulled into this. So when you go and look at the romance victim, you've got other crimes at play there too. So you've got instances where they would be receiving fake checks. And the way that they would be receiving fake checks is you may have another company that the scammers would be socially engineering as a part of a completely different scheme. And they would tell the the victim, hey, you're going to be receiving this fake check. Go ahead and go deposit for me. So now your victim is now is now a mule who's actually the one who's going and pushing and doing this stuff for on behalf of that scammer. Um, In addition to that, you've got chances instances where your romance victim will go and make different types of loans in order to send money. They will, like I said, completely go and buy and be the ones to push the money out back and forth for the scammers. 
Um, in addition to that, you've also got the, the psychological damage that happens with the romance victim. So now just even before, like even touching the very tippy top of the, of the scheme, you now have business email compromise, you have check fraud, and you have romance victims that are directly tied to this. And as you dig deeper into understanding the ecosystem and just how a lot of these other things are working, and once you start digging into the actions of the actors, it quickly balloons into like a dumpster fire of an incannable mess that we can't even track. Because when, when you go and look at the business email compromise side, your scammers are doing two dozen other types of crime. They're filing for unemployment claims. They're fly, filing for SBA fraud. They're filing for FEMA. They're filing for um, tax funds. They're hitting victims who are for check fraud. They're messaging people over Facebook to say, hey, that thing that you're selling, I want to go ahead and buy that for $2,000 more, touching on the advanced fee fraud side. So now that's an element that plays into this too. In addition to that, you've also got gift card fraud that loops into this because these same actors who figured out that they can successfully wire money, they can go and now convince a victim to go and purchase a gift card. So now once they go and purchase the gift card, they can go ahead and convert that over to Bitcoin. So now you have Bitcoin and gift card laundering that now loops into this big dumpster fire of a mess. And like I said, it's why I initially kicked it off of it's a dumpster fire is because when, and, and this is going all the way to the FBI, and this is not by any means me talking down to them, but when we go and track business email compromise, when we track those losses, it's just that one thing. It's just BEC that we track. Um, and it's just the losses solely related to that. But when you start tracking all these other things and realize that this business email compromise is just one symptom of something that's been going on for 25, 30 years in Nigeria, it becomes much bigger of a problem. Um, and one great case in point in that is if you look at um, unemployment fraud, uh, Secret Service just came out and they said that we lost $100 billion in unemployment fraud alone and everything. Again, when you start realizing that the same actors who are doing unemployment fraud are the same people who are doing the check fraud, are the same people who are doing gift card fraud, Bitcoin laundering, who are the same people running these romance victims, who are the same people doing the invoice fraud targeting organizations, it becomes a big, 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 big mess. So... It's, I mean, it's, it's so frustrating, right? There's so many layers to the criminal activity, so many people that are getting implicated in this. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. You start thinking about some people that are getting, you know, baited into this and then being used as money mules and helping to conduct these malicious transactions. And I mean, the, the, the sort of the, the web of the crime is a mess, but the web of the hurt and the harm mm -hmm. is really, I mean, it's, just, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I mean, I can't thank you enough for all the work you put in this. I know you, you're, you're very, uh, you, you put a lot of heart into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. you know, it's really, I know, taken a, a, a level of frustration, you know, with you as you've worked through these issues and seen some of the criminal activity and see how people have been hurt by this at all these different levels. I mean, it's just, it's a very complicated mm -hmm. mess. And I know you know, few have paid as much attention to this as you have. So really appreciate that overview. Um, there's a lot of resources out there talking about this email compromise. You know, Ronnie mentioned the U.S. Secret Service. The FBI has got a number of reports they put out alerts and notifications probably twice a year talking about BEC. They also do their annual report, which just captures how complex the BEC threat is and how many dollars are lost on annual basis. And like I said, that's really just a snippet of the broader umbrella of what BEC is. So you know, I'll include some links to that in the show notes. You can find out some more and there's a whole lot more you can dive into. But staying with BEC, you know, this is something that we don't only see here in the United States, but it's an international problem. And you've done a lot of work looking at that. You mentioned Nigeria. Can you explain some of what you're seeing and what you've discussed uh, about Yahoo Boys? And you shared some of that on your YouTube mm -hmm. channel in the past and characters like the G4 Boys. I mean, it's, you shared some of those videos with me and I was, I mean, I was blown away. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy stuff. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, and this and this is where things like reality start to break down in that I really kind of have to remind myself that what I'm seeing is actual reality yeah. because there are so many times I will go and research something and I'm like, is that really, really how this stuff works? Because yeah. like I said, it's so, to a Westerner, is a lot of the concepts are so far out there. And like I said, it's just so difficult to wrap your head around sometimes. So for example, um, when you go and look at the stuff that's happening in Nigeria, the people on the ground who are doing this type of crime, they're locally known as Yahoo Boys. That name initially started from the early days when you had your 419 scammers who were using Yahoo as a service. However, that name has no connotation back to the company Yahoo whatsoever. Um, these days, it's just essentially the, another name for an internet fraudster who's located in Nigeria. So when you look at Nigeria from a geopolitical perspective, this is where it kind of, this is where it kind of starts to get murky and everything. It's because when you go and look at a lot of the way these things are working, you have to ask yourself, if I had no opportunities, if I had no job, if I had no way to make money for my family, would I continue fighting and go the path that's the most legit path or would I go and be a scammer? And the unfortunate truth is that's the choice a lot of these people have to make is they have to figure out, okay, I'm going to go and be a scammer just to, to support my family. And the reason for that is while unemployment, for, while unemployment is really high here in the United States, over in Nigeria for the youth ages between 15 and 35, aka your people who are fairly technical, technically savvy, you have an unemployment rate of over 50%. So over half the people between ages 15 and 35 don't have a job. Um, I've talked with many people on the ground, and unfortunately, it's something where there are no job opportunities over there. And because there's a lack of opportunities, it becomes a, uh, a thing of survival where you have to figure out, OK, I'm going to go and scam some people over in the West or go scam the whites, as they say, um, or I can go ahead and continue just living in poverty. And it's a hard choice that a lot of these people have to make. But unfortunately, it's something where a lot of them do become a scammer. Um, the other problem with that, too, is you have some people who do make that choice of, no, I'm not going to be a scammer and everything, or they have make the choice where they be like, OK, I can't uh, be a scammer or serve or not survive. And they do it like that. But there's also a caveat to this, too, where you also have a sense of greed that plays into this, too. So when you look at people like Mumfa, when you look at people like Hush Puppy, when you look at people like G4 Boys, it's something where from a political ecosystem, there is a level of greed that plays into this too. And there is a little bit of human aspect where they're like, no, I want more money. I want to take as much money as I can. And that sense of taking money also kind of starts touching on the voodoo sides of the juju and the money rituals, um, which is also another aspect of this too, which we can, we can get into if you're, if y'all are curious on that. Um, but in Nigeria, they're one of the places where some of this stuff originated. Um, and that's why Nigeria gets that rap of being like, oh, everyone's scammers. Like, that's, they're not all scammers. Um, but in addition to that, you've got other countries that play into this as well. So, for example, when you go look at, at Ghana, for example, you have what is called Sakawa boys out there, which are the equivalent of a Yahoo boy out in Nigeria. Um, you have actors in South Africa, Malaysia, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, um, many other countries across the world that are involved in this. And when you also look at other organizations and other institutions that are doing this too, you've also got other groups such as Black Axe who are extremely violent, who would give 
some of the gangs such as MS-13 or the Italian Mafia run for their money who are literally slaughter slaughtering people in order to continue operating with a lot of these things. And for them, they're, they are internationally recognized and they have many, many members. So it's something where, it, again, it touches on a whole lot of different things that people just don't realize how this stuff works. Yeah, and you mean, you hit a lot of really important points and they're probably putting one of those threads and talk for an hour to be honest but i mean mm -hmm. there's there's something to be said for you know while while the conditions around us don't excuse the choices we make from from the whether you're trying to investigate these events trying to understand them like it helps you appreciate like how these things take on this magnificent life of their own when you can understand the context of like why would somebody go down this path right and that's that's often missed and underappreciated it's not that we have to sort of have in one sense, you don't have compassion for them. In a sense, you always say, like, why is this happening? Why is this so pervasive? And I'm a, I'm a movie geek. I, lo I love the Marvel comic movies. I grew up on, you know, comic books. And, you know, just the, the, the sort of, over the last few years, you've seen more and more sort of that, the bad guy's backstory, right? Sort of puts it in mm -hmm. context of why did this guy decide to become the evil superhero? And, and it's the same thing with criminals, right? People just don't choose this because they wake up when they're like, hey, I want to become a criminal. But there is, you know, conditions around them why you, know, you see this and why you associate it so much, for example, with Nigeria, right? These scams are an association there um, that has been around for a long time. It's named, you know, partially mm -hmm. because of that. So, I mean, it does help to understand sort of the conditions that create the environment and why these crimes are so pervasive, because it is somewhat, in a sense, cultural and, and, and organic to that community right now. And that's, that's a challenge. And you've got to think of different ways to counter that, that, that narrative and make it, you know, make a better choice. I think, you know, we'll talk some more on that here in a little bit, but just because you mentioned, I think it's worth maybe just spending a minute on, can you just briefly talk to the voodoo component? People might be curious about that, as you mentioned. Oh, yeah. What are you talking about? Like, he's getting yeah. like a little brief piece about that. Yeah. And like I said, this is where reality kind of starts to break down of things that as Westerners, we kind of have our own view of how the world works and realizing that there's other things at play here. So specifically, so I'm going to take a quick step back and everything and kind of explain the cultural aspect of voodoo or juju, as I call it, Nigeria. So when you look at a lot of the traditional religions in Africa, when you look at a lot of those traditional tribal religions, you have to remember that for Africa as a whole, it's very much a tribal country. So in some places, you may have 200 different cultures with 200 different aspects that can exist in the same area. So when you go and look at a lot of the religions, they would be similar to what we would consider as Haitian voodoo. Um, and what that means is it's a level of superstition and belief that you can kind of, it, the only way I can think of to articulate it is, is it's a way to build your own, build your confidence. So if you're trying to go and be confident with this one person that you're trying to talk to, The voodoo got me by the throat by that one. Um, yeah, you choked up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but in the but in the terms of voodoo and stuff, what it is is it's a way to kind of instill confidence in, in one in a person. So what they'll do is, like I said, you if you're trying to build confidence to go and speak to somebody, they will go and do this ritual and be like, okay, you can drink this thing. I'm gonna crush these bones. Um, you go ahead and go around this pole three times, and it's something where that will lock you into this deal, if you will, where you will have the confidence to go and do that. Um, we've also seen instances of this in Italy, where members like Black Axe will go and do these, uh, they're called protection rituals, that will essentially lock people into that ritual. Um, and what it is, is they will use these protection rituals for the escorts that they have out there. 
where they will go ahead and continue using them at, out in Italy. That's and again, that's another aspect of well, I'll get back to that. Um, but specific to the voodoo side, it's something where a lot of the people truly believe that this is an aspect that you can do of a kind of build, instilling your confidence and doing these things in order to gain an upper hand in life. Um, in the context of Yahoo Boys and how this is used, the main type of rituals that they use are called money rituals. And what a money ritual is, is it's a way to extract more money from somebody or to kind of bring wealth to, towards you. So what I mean by that is, I'll, I'll use the example of a romance victim. So in the case of where if you want to do a money ritual against a romance victim per se, you bring a picture of that person to your native doctor in Nigeria, um, where they will go and perform this ritual in order to have you continue extracting more money from that person. Um, and in some of these cases, it could be as simple as a picture, it could be a charm, it could be a memory, um, and it can get all the way as dark as needing a human sacrifice. Um, there are, I don't know how much I can go into contacts on this and everything, but let's just say there are certain types of blood that you can use as well from different types of people in order to continue stealing more stuff from the, um, in order to help empower those rituals. Um, I've had serious conversations with law enforcement about piles of money in South Africa that were covered in blood and dead chickens. And the reason that that big of a, a pile of money was needed was because the magic in South Africa was not as strong as the juju in Nigeria. So it's something where we can laugh this off. We can make all these jokes towards voodoo and everything. But the unfortunate truth is to a lot of these people, they truly believe this. And it's also a root of a lot of the Nigerian, or uh, sorry, a lot of the African religions, if you will, um, where you, they, where many of them will literally dabble with spirits in order to continue stealing and extracting more money. Um, and like I said, to a Westerner, it sounds absolutely bonkers with trying to have to consider that that might remotely be true. But again, it's the unfortunate nature of the beast here is that we actually have actors who are doing this. We have actors who are dabbling this. We have instances of thousands of murders tied back to this where they will go and use somebody as a human sacrifice. They'll bring you out into the woods and beat you to a pulp until you start saying these rituals in order to agree with the group and everything. I'm like, this is how, what it is. This is how it works. So yeah. that's just the nature of the way some of that stuff is. And it's so easy to sort of be dismissive about it, right? Mm -hmm. Because not what we're used to here, but in reality, I mean, Western culture is full of superstition, mm -hmm. right? rituals in just different ways. I and mean, I'm wearing a you know, sports t-shirt. I should note, recording this day after Detroit Lions beat the Green Bay Packers in week 18, submitting themselves as the greatest three-win team in NFL history. Not important, just making that note, but sports is full of insane the rituals and, and superstition, right? And, mm -hmm. and even criminal activity gangs have the same, you know, not the same, but there are other rituals and, and, and superstitions that go along with things and things we must do to be initiated, accepted. It's not that far off when we really think about, you know, this is common across the world. Superstition mm -hmm. and beliefs like this are common and, and it's not so foreign. It's just different to what we do here in the West. Yeah, and, it, and it's also a sense of duality, I would say, where you have the instance of, people here being trained and having a thought press process that voodoo is bad that doing anything superstitious is bad yet you nailed it we'll go and wear jerseys in order to support our favorite team we'll go wear that lucky pair of underwear because that's the pair that we were wearing when we won when we won something i can't or, shave my team yeah. when i didn't shave yeah yeah. I mean, yeah all the time all yeah, the time or, 
or like I or like I have a favorite shirt that I wear anytime I go and present, which is not this one, but it's something where we we all have those little things within our life that help us instill that confidence. And when you go look at the root emotion of a lot of it, that's exactly what it is. Is it's a way to instill more confidence in you in order to be like, yes, I'm gonna deliver that confidence out into the world, out to the universe. So hopefully they will, hopefully they'll win type thing. So absolutely. And it's, it's easy to sort of, if we don't catch ourselves, we all, I think, have a tendency to sort of be quickly judgmental and dismissive about things that we don't personally do. We can catch ourselves and think about it. It's like, hey, you know what? I kind of do that too in this way or that way. Mm -hmm. that, that, that helps us understand, again, the nature of the threat and the challenge of what this is all about. And so I really appreciate you putting some context on that. So all right, business email compromise is huge. It's complex. I'm thinking right now, they're recording this on January 10th. So good, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, and wives are starting to think about Valentine's Day right now, maybe. Mm -hmm. And this brings on more romance scams, more ways to, to, you know, entice folks to make the wrong decision, whether that's on social media or an email, or however it is. I mean, it's a complex mess of a problem. You talk about some of that. And again, we'll point uh, listeners to some other places they can go to get more resources and information that's easily searchable. Maybe not something that Ryan's talking about. You can check out his channel for more background, but let's talk about mitigation, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a threat facing every organization and really every individual in one way or another. So what are the best things that I can do personally and then for my organization to make it harder for these bad guys, for the adversary to succeed in baiting me and my organization into a scam like this? So I think, I think the most important thing that people need to realize is simply acknowledge it. Like, I can't tell you how many discussions I have with people or how many news articles I read or how many podcasts I see. Ransomware is this next big thing. APT attacks are the most important thing that's targeting critical infrastructure. Or this bad thing is going to happen over here. But like, we aren't even acknowledging business email compromise as a thing, yet we have billions and billions and billions of dollars. We have murders. We have sacrifices. We have suicide. We literally have death. We have a pile of corpses here. And it's something where I'm like, oh, so this hospital might be encrypted with ransomware. Oh, gasp. But like, that's the first thing organizations need to do is understand that this is actually a thing out there. And it's really, really hard to catch. And the reason is our entire, when, in the, when you look at the security industry, we are so bent and so focused on exploits, on malware, on these different zero days that government organization might do and everything in order to break into a company. Or you've got cases where um, you have other APTs that might be like, oh, there is this zero click exploit that's happened on the iPhone because it's they exciting. had the, it's sexy. It's yeah, they, yeah, exactly. It's, just, yeah. it's new. It's fancy. It's interesting. But like, when you look at business email compromise, there is zero malware. There is zero things that are malicious. You might have a bank account, but like with the way all of our email gateways are wired and with the way everything is developed and with the way everything is architectured, it does not stop against this stuff. Sure. So like the, the first thing, like I said, acknowledging that this is just how this stuff works is the best thing. The second thing, and which I consider the most, one of the most important things, which is one of the reasons I love the way we do the things that are here at CoFence, is education is hands down one of the best ways in order to mitigate a lot of these things. That's because a lot of the scammers, when they go and interact with your people, it's something where they will have different text scripts and formats or bodies of text that they can copy and paste back and forth, but they will have different scripts and formats that they can copy paste to your users in order to say, hey, I need you to do this wire transfer. If you, and one of the more popular ones that's been popping up now is gift card fraud. So they'll say, hey, I'm out of the office. Can you give me my your phone number? So we can text back and forth. And what they will do is the scammers will actually text back and forth with the victim, completely taking that out of your email chain. How do you account for that? 
it's something where in the traditional email gateway side, you don't like there's no can't there's you just don't. Um, again, a lot of people don't even consider these as a possible threat. So education is definitely one of the biggest things because it's something where informing your users about how this stuff works, it's something where they're the ones who will be seeing a lot of this stuff. And like I said, it bypasses by virtually every email gateway out there. Um, so that's one of the big things is just understanding how this stuff works. The yeah. third thing, which I would say is not as important as the education, but still up there, is ensuring that you have the right processes and procedures in place. For a lot of the successful attacks that I see, some process somewhere broke down. It was either somebody didn't pick up the phone call to verify that this was the bank account that was used. They went and realized and they went to go buy the gift cards when they should have had the policy of you don't buy gift cards for your CEO's nephew because he was lazy and completely forgot that his kid's birthday. So I needed to go and run an urgent task. Yeah. Literally, literally formats that these actors use in order to do some of these things. But like there's things like that that you can put into place and everything without even having to spend a dollar. Um, and it's something where it's like, if you just change the way you operate, if you account for the fact that yes, people will be sending these email scams saying, hey, can you wire money for me to this account? That's something to do too. One of the more heinous ones that we're seeing is uh, invoice scams where they will actually compromise an email account and they'll lie and wait and wait for a business transaction to come through. So if you think of like the way we normally train our users, it's something we're like, oh, wait for this, be on the lookout for this brand new email. You're not going to realize it, who it's coming from. But are our users actually trained to spot a compromised email account where an actor was responding back to a thread, which they were, which they were conversing on in regards to a purchase order that's also timely with a new email account that just so happened to have two letters switch. I'm like, your users are not able to spot that. Oh, in addition to that, they will actually match the font and match the phone number and signature in the bottom of the email. I'm like, your users can't do that. And like, even from an analyst perspective, I'm like, these attacks are moving away from, no one would fall for this to heck, I would even fall for this. Yeah. Like I said, that's the level of sophistication a lot of these people are doing. Um, and it's something where like, we've seen actual, we've seen Russian organization get into the BEC stuff as well. Um, and that stuff is really good. Um, but it's something where a lot of people are dabbling in this because there's a lot of money. and. It's either I can go and spend all this time to spin up this malware and have it detected by all these hundreds of thousands of researchers who are out there who are picking apart every little binary and bit, or, hey, Andy, can you send me yeah. some money? Yeah, I, I'm like, that, that, I'm like what, what, would I, what would you do? It's, we're humans, we're lazy, we go for the path of least resistance. It's just how we work. So yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and you know, what you talked earlier about sort of you know, all, all the, the new sexy, you know, headline story and, mm -hmm. and th those are real threats and concerns, mm -hmm. but, but oftentimes, you know, for, for somebody to actually take advantage of one of these vulnerabilities, it's not that easy. Right. So while, while the vulnerability exists and we should update, like to actually take advantage of that sometimes isn't so simple. It's going to be something we have to, you know, escalate to, you know, code red immediately mm -hmm. you know, for security leaders and risk managers you know, that are listening to this. It's really important to think through what are those enduring threats and how am I managing these day to day? And if you know that your boss, whoever you're reporting to, gets excited because they read the Wall Street Journal every day or they go to a certain security site every day and they're going to get excited and spun about whatever's in the headlines, you've got to have a way to manage that against the enduring mm -hmm. threats. I and mean, this is one of them, right? I mean, you know, social engineering is what a lot of this is all about, right? One way or the other. And you know, I, I've shared this before and I'm happy to do so again. You know, I mean, it's been a while now, right? But there was an afternoon where you know, me as a guy that's looking at threats all day long, right? My team is 
very focused on, you know, what's being done in the environment, what we should be looking out for yet. One afternoon, I was tired late in the week, late in the day, going, you know, doing multitasking, doing million and one things. Something came in that I, I looked at, didn't fully process, opened it up, starting typing stuff in. That night, it clicked as I sort of started recapping my day. And I was like, holy crow, right? I just got baited, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I like to think that I'm a relatively aware individual. And so mm -hmm. anybody can get baited into these things and, and the pain can last a long time. Mm -hmm. you know, I was fortunate in my incident, we were able to rectify it pretty quickly, no harm, no foul, but the adversary is quick and they were smart. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they were excellent what they were trying to do. And that could have gone sideways pretty quickly. So, you know, it's easy to get somebody in this. We're talking about, you know, employees being diligent, being aware. We also think about our friends and loved ones is, you know, older and older folks are getting online and getting on social media and younger and younger folks are getting online and getting on social media. The ability to bait people in that might not be as aware, that's why education is so important, right? Mm -hmm. It's so important. You talked about that piece, which I love because a lot of what we focus at a gate 15 and then also those process and procedures. Like, what do you want people to do? And one of the things we did as a team, it was, I was sort of listing things off. It's like, hey, these are issues we need to talk about. And one of my teammates said, hey, we should have a, on one of our calls, we should talk about, you know, things that you will never ask anybody to do. And we did that. Like, I was like, hey, look, you will never get these requests from me. And mm -hmm. if you get it, go check with so-and-so to figure out what's being, what's happening here. Because if, if you get that request, that's somebody else, you know, acting as me. And you should be aware of that and know that. So just, just thinking about what you can do to help educate and arm your teams is so important. So I, mean, I, I love everything you covered there. That was awesome. And so I want to stay with the idea of mitigation. And you recently shared a post on Medium, and I'll include that in the show notes as well. You're talking about the awesome collaboration you've been integral to for the last half dozen years. And I get a chance to be a small part of some of that. You talked about a whole, you know, a whole series of activities and, and, and champions you've been partnering with. Can you share a little bit on that story for those that haven't read it yet? And for those who are listening, mm -hmm. strongly encourage you. It's a short read. It's a good read. to check that out. And I'll have the link for you. But could you talk about that a little bit, Ronnie? Yeah, I could talk about that. Um, so the way that initially started, I'll kind of get into what that is. So what I did was back around Christmas of 2015, um, I created a mailing list. It was operating at the TLP Red level. Um, so for the, I'm assuming most of the people listening to this understand what TLP Red is, but to start from white to, to white, green, yellow, red, uh, the best way to think of it is TLP white, you could tell anybody. TLP green, you could tell a coworker. TLP yellow, or TLP Amber is something that you would tell a trusted coworker working on the same project. TLP Red, keep your mouth shut. Um, so it's usually just a, essentially a one-way type of communication around doing those different types of things. Um, so what we did was we created a mailing list back in 2015 focused on understanding all aspects of business email compromise. Um, what we found was that when it comes to these type of attacks, it was something where not many people were understanding how this stuff works, but it was a growing trend. It was like all across the industry, we all started seeing different aspects of it. Um, and the analogy I like to give when trying to articulate that is if you imagine a house, um, one person might see a stud, one person might see the floorboard, one person might see the window, the roof, the floor joist, the A-frame. And it's only once you come together and start talking about that and working it through, then you can be like, oh, there's a house, there's how this stuff works. So, um, what, so what it was with the mailing list it was initially 100 sec private security researchers and 10 people in law enforcement. And that was our goal, was to try and understand all things business email compromise. Um, fast forward to now, it's something where we're well over 500 members. Um, we have law enforcement, both international, foreign, local, uh, you name it, we've got representation. Um, we have a lot of different individuals who can successfully impact 
a lot of the different avenues of business email compromise. I don't want to get into who the members are and stuff and whatnot. Um, but we initially, but we flew under the radar for about three years. And then we were nominated for the JD Falk award, uh, through MOG. And we were, and we were, and I actually had to ask the members, I'm like, Hey, do we want to go public and be acknowledged on this stuff? They're like, we trust you. Yes. We want to be not acknowledged for that. Um, so shout out to all the members who've been involved in this stuff. You guys are amazing. You guys know all the stuff we've been doing to keep on burning that fire, but through some of the positive works that we've been able to do it. Um, we've successfully nuked between five to 10 million social media accounts. We have mitigated and shared uh, thousands of bank accounts. I can't tell you how, I have no idea how many um, email accounts, um, other accounts for the actors on some of these things. Um, we've worked with romance victims. We've mitigated some things with check, or we've tried to mitigate some things with check fraud, but uh, it was something where postal inspectors uh, and FedEx wasn't able to take the information. Uh, go read Brian's Kreb, Brian Krebs article on the, on the coverage of that, um, where we essentially had uh, several, uh, we had tens of thousands of checks, accounts, names, addresses, shipping labels, where the stuff was going. And it was too much information to handle was, was what we were finally told. Um, like it, even after giving to my civil platter, but anywho, um, but it's something where we were tracking all these things and we had this big impact. And the main idea and kind of my main thought process in doing this was I didn't want to tip our hands on the, how we were doing these things back to the scammers. And it was something where we've been operating this way for, like I said, for the last six years, we've made a ton of headway in understanding how this stuff works. We've made a ton of headway into understanding the true scope and scale on a lot of these things. And we're getting to a point where we're comfortable kind of start talking about just how this stuff is. Because like I said, if you think back from business email compromise to international criminal syndicate who are literally doing voodoo's and human sacrifices in order to make this stuff, I'm like, that's a lot of knowledge, right? That you have to go through in order to understand how this stuff works. Um, but that's kind of some of the impacts that we've had. And we've held multiple conferences. Um, we had, like I said, we very much flew under the radar in this stuff. Um, and it's something where we're just going to keep burning because um, it's something where the, it's a big problem. We all see it's a problem. And regardless of if people want to acknowledge it or not, we're going to keep burning the fire um, because it is a problem. It's the biggest problem. People can fight me on that and everything. And I have presented my hundred billion dollars of fraud and the billions here, billions there and everything. And no one has seemed to come back and be like, oh, no, you're wrong, Ronnie. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be egotistical on that and everything. I'm like, it's a fact. I'm like, when you go look at a lot of the other impacts, when you look at the other, lot of the other things going on and everything, big number of BEC that has literal human sacrifices and murders tied to it, ransomware, primer, all these other things and stuff and whatnot for a handful of groups and everything. And it's like, we really need to rethink and reshift how we're doing a lot of this stuff because the impacts when where we think they are, are not where we think they are. It's something where we need to reframe how we want to structure this because there's a lot of damage being done and not enough people looking at it or understanding every aspect of where the, of where that all is going. Yeah, I mean, again, you, you hit a lot of really good points here. And part of the challenge with things like ransomware is, you know, who's being targeted and how they're being targeted often affects you know, how much emphasis we give something. And ransomware is, you know, it's taken on a new life the last couple of years and it's hit some pretty big names and organizations. And it is a very pervasive threat, mm -hmm. it's a serious threat, but but it's, it's, it's different, right? These, these are different threats and there's challenges. And uh, you know, something you mentioned again, I think is, is really worth noting, especially for anybody that might be a, a younger analyst or, or a researcher or security pro listening to this is, you know, I, I, th I like to think I'm pretty smart. I know, you know, you're a very smart guy, but we're so much better with the power of community, right? Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, th there are groups out there where they're professional associations, 
informal groups and lists you can be a part of. I, I'm, I'm confident that you, you can agree with me that you're probably in way more Slack workspaces than you ever imagined or want to be in, right? But all those different ways to connect with other pros, other folks who are trying to do good things to counter the bad guys, that makes us all smarter, more aware, better. So plug in and work with your peers and find those partners you can help and that they can help you because together we have so much more uh, knowledge, you know, efficiency, capability than we do alone. And we can break through some of those silos. It's awesome. And you've done, mm -hmm. you've been such a champion for that across so many efforts. And I really appreciate your leadership there. And one of the things I really appreciate about your leadership is you've, you've been very just sort of like, Hey, this is we all to get involved with, mm -hmm. right? You just try to help bring the community together and push it along and let, let, let other people be great at what they're great at. And that's, that's so critical. You know, as we deal with these threats. Good. And that's the thing is like too many people don't think that way. And it's something where like I have seen on mailing lists, on Twitter, on all these other things, like so many people in information security constantly lashing out back and forth at each other, like getting nasty with each other. I'm like, you do realize we're on the same team. You yeah. do realize we're fighting the same stuff. Yeah. And you'll have cases where like one company will have a rivalry and that that's okay to a certain extent when it helps push innovation. But like when you're being ruthless about it and you're just being a jerk about it, I'm like, it's not needed. Yeah. And it's something where at the end of the day, a lot of people might be looking at Fin7. A lot of people might be looking at a panda, a bear, Nigerian fraud. Mm -hmm. And it's something where it's like you can either work back and forth with those people because those are individuals who have a completely different background than you. They have a completely different experience within you. You can learn from them, vice versa. Or you could be like, no, I'm going to sit here and stay in my silo. And it's something where having the siloed approach is not the right answer. Trying to go for the headline of trying to say, oh, I found the new biggest thing and everything. I'm like, that's fine and to a certain extent. But like when that's your main motivating forces to be the one to find the newest thing, I'm like, that's, that's a wrong approach. It doesn't matter what the malware is. It doesn't matter what the new fanciest thing is, in my opinion. It's what you're doing about it is that makes sense. And in addition to that, and this is just a big beef I have just with information security in general, and I'm probably going to be flamed out of existence for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's something where if you reverse a piece of malware and if you post an indicator, what's the so what? What is the impact that you actually caused? Was it something where you were trying to stroke your ego and simply say, hey, I found this malware sample. I posted this hash. And what was mitigated from it? Did you yeah. just release all your TTPs to the scammer? Um, I'm guilty of this too. My hand, like I said, my handle is literally I Howard Mauer. I reversed, I reversed plenty of hour in my day. So it's something where it's a, it's a essentially reframing how we approach stuff in information security. Yeah. And as we go into 2022, there's a lot of things that are burning right now. And it's a matter of trying to figure out what are we going to do in order to help stop the burning? Or are we going to keep it burning and continue playing these ego games? Or are we going to actually step, step back and be like, hey, let's actually try and talk this out and let's actually try and push change in the world because it's something where a lot of these things and the way they work, like you can go and cause a lot more damage than just saying, hey, I posted this malware hash up on Twitter. Yeah. And, and of course, there's utility in that, right? I mean, we mm. want to share those indicators, but think about what we're sharing, how we're sharing, the purpose of that sharing. Like I said, the so what of it, what's the value in this? We just want to be cognizant of sort of the decisions we're making so we're doing it most to the most effect, right? That mm -hmm. you know, one of those positive goals. You mentioned Fin7, one of my teammates was just writing on that this morning, I was just reviewing that. And it, it's it's so important, right? That we're, mm -hmm. that we're working in, in together. I've got a great partner. She leads, I'll say one, one of America's most very well-known brands internationally from a security standpoint. And she, she's always been wanting to say like, hey, look, we're all trying to make a dollar. That's what businesses do. But 
when it comes to security, there's no competition in security, right? Mm -hmm. If you can do something to prevent something bad from happening, from somebody losing money, from somebody getting injured, if we can protect those, those people, those places, those, the data, those dollars, right? If we can keep those things safe and secure, there's no competition in that mm -hmm. part of it, right? We have to be better than that. And again, you know, working with partners, working with these communities, sharing information, trying to stay positive, not being part of that, you know, attacking one another, there's enough trouble already. So I really appreciate your spirit and attitude mm -hmm. there. And something else I really appreciate is you're trying to actually do something good. So if I could pause and take us back to Nigeria, you're doing some things to try and encourage mm -hmm. better options for kids, right? We talked about the, the fact there's sort of limited options in some areas, and that's part of why some of these folks get baited into this criminal behavior. Can you talk about the program you've put together to develop mm -hmm. cyber crime fighters in Nigeria and what those listening can do to help? Yeah, so one of the main areas that we started doing this with was it's an organization called Future Labs. And what it is, is they do a lot of training around computer-aided drafting. They help teach different ways to write HTML and different type of languages like that. And what the main goal of that was to provide an opportunity for people to come and learn. Because here, for many of us, it's something where, hey, I'm going to go to Google and search this thing and pull this thing up. To many of us listening here, that's common knowledge. It's like, yeah, you just do that. There's no, no, you don't even second guess that for a lot of times. However, for a lot of places, a lot of people, that's, a, that's actually more of a foreign concept than not. Um, so with Future Labs, what they're doing is they're helping train and teach a lot of the youth in order to becoming self-sufficient, in order to go and develop websites, in order to try and figure, okay, how can you make an opportunity in order to better yourself? Um, and that's where a lot of the efforts have been going is trying to figure that and trying to attack that 50% gap, if you will. Um, that's kind of the way I've been approaching it and kind of think about it as of the last couple of years is that, okay, you have this gap of youth who have no opportunities, who are causing the fraud. What can you do to help mitigate that fraud? And like, they could, we could go and arrest everybody tomorrow, but that doesn't fix the underlying root cause of the lack of opportunities in Nigeria. So now you have to try and reframe yourself to think, okay, what opportunities can be made to make it to where that having a legit opportunity is more enticing than trying to be a scammer and it now comes and it comes back to a whole lot of criminology in that regard where a lot of crimes are committed by people who don't have good opportunities and it's something where that's a concept that's been almost all in criminology as long as like as i'm aware of but it's something where when you start thinking of it and framing it in that mindset you're able to start making more of an impact and actually able to start making a lasting effect because you can sit here and play whack-a-mole all day long but until you take that deep dive and understand the threats and the opportunities, like you're never going to make headway. Um, and the interesting thing with this is that Nigeria, while it's something where there's a lot of not, not many opportunities out there, if you go and look at Crimeware, for example, it's very much a similar story. And I remember someone posting on Twitter a couple of years ago who was in information security. I, no, I don't even remember who it was. But what they were saying was when they were um, when they were overseas, I think they were from like, um, they, they were in some part of Europe and everything where, they, again, they didn't have opportunities. And they straight up said, if I did not come to America, I would not have had any opportunities. And I probably would have been a scammer. And it's something where here we have, we're very fortunate to be able to have these jobs. We're very fortunate to have these opportunities, but a lot of the world does not. And it's something where when you look at a lot of the crime, a lot of the cyber crime, a lot of that comes directly from a lack of opportunities. And like I said, you have some of these career criminals who want to go and make money of it. I'm not denying that, 
but you've also got a certain part of that population that would given the opportunity they would go the legitimate route and not commit those fraud they would not commit that crime and when you account for that it's something where uh, there's a lot of places in the world right now that would fall into that scenario that would that, to where you need to go ahead and just be like hey if you can make an op- a legitimate opportunity it'd be much more enticing to go and not be a fraudster yeah you know, and you say that i don't think it's limited just to you know parts of eastern europe or africa mm-hmm. you think about a lot of, especially in the blue team infosec community yeah. a, a lot of folks start out maybe not making all those positive choices, right? People mm-hmm. start, start tinkering around, playing with coding, stumbled onto a couple of things, start talking to a couple people, maybe you got caught up in some not ideal behavior for a little while, mm-hmm. but they're able to at some point, you know, change the page and, and, and start doing good with their capabilities. I can think of, you know, I mean, if you think about WannaCry, right? That's a very mm-hmm. public story of right. you made a different decision, right? I think it's, it's important for people to realize that. And I think one thing, you know, Jen Easterly, who's leading uh, CISA now at DHS has been a champion of, hey, give people a second chance, let people learn mm-hmm. and, and change that story. Because you know, whether you're in Nigeria or, or you know, Belarus or, or Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. People can get caught doing the wrong thing, but people can have a chance to change that story. And I think right. what we do with Future Labs is trying to help contribute to mm-hmm. better options, better decision-making. Let's do good. Let's create better options and opportunities for people. And I, I really appreciate that. That's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Because you got to change the conditions yeah. and change the story. And then you're, you're, you're doing that. It's awesome. And like in addition to that, I because I, I don't want to say specifically who the scammers and the actors were on this just because just because of the nature of the case and stuff or whatnot. But we had instances where individuals were arrested by federal law enforcement, and it was something where that's directly what it was was they were just on the they took the wrong path they made the wrong choice, and by putting them on the correct path. And essentially pointing to, hey, this is the right way to go. They were able to not only make positive impacts, but it was they were able to make impacts in ways that were, like I said, extremely positive. Because for many people, while they have the moral judgment to see, hey, this is good and bad, it's a lot more difficult for some people, depending on their background. And in this case of the of the actors I have in mind, it was something where they were able to turn around and do a lot of positive things. They were able to help our government with it, with many things um, simply by being put on the right path. And my understanding is they're still operating good and kind of operating in the good side of things. But it's something where that second chance for some of these people does work. I will say on the flip side, though, um, depending on the nature of the person, there are times where a second opportunity doesn't work. I'm aware of some instances where people in our field have been given that second opportunity, but there's also cases where they opted not to always use the best judgment. They opted not to do the right things and not that it came back to bite them, but it's something where you have to have a decent moral compass in order to kind of work through this stuff. And you have to realize that it's not all about you and it's not all about the things that you're doing. It's something where you need to reframe a lot of the way that you operate on that and everything. And it kind of goes back to that root of it's us versus the scammers at the end of the day, regardless of any company rivalry. So it's like, what do you do to align organizations for that to realize, no, we're all working together on this. We're all trying to fight the same problem. What do you do to make as big of an impact on that as you can? Yeah, no, you're actually right. I mean, that's where, you know, candidly speaking, that's where another enduring threat that sometimes doesn't give attention to needs also to be paid attention to, which is that insider threat, right? We all Mm -hmm. Recognize there's a lot of loss and challenge in, in yeah. that component as well. And um, you're right. I mean, you know, we, we want people to make a better choice. We want to show them the path maybe they never knew even existed or not mm-hmm. never even there. 
we also have to be aware that some people can still stumble back into you know, bad choices. I mean, and candidly speaking, right? If not for second, third, and fourth chances, I don't know where I would be. But, mm-hmm. but that's, that's that's another story altogether. So I appreciate all that, Ronnie. Thank you, mm-hmm. sir. So let's 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 shift a little bit. I mean, we've talked about you know, some of the things you've been involved with. Um, you know, if we can step back a minute, you work at CoFence, formerly mm-hmm. Ishmi, right? And we yep. and was listed as the best email security solution last year by Channel Insider and in their mm-hmm. write-up. They write. 10 years after its launch, CoFence serves half of the Fortune 500, mm-hmm. operates five 24 by seven global fishing defense centers, and has 27 patents underpinning its technology. The Leesburg, Virginia, applause for Leesburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. vendor specializes in phishing detection and response with a handful of email as an endpoint security solutions. And just a couple other items from last year, CoFence wins AI-based cybersecurity solution of the year in 2021, cybersecurity breakthrough awards, that's from the 5th of October, CoFence joins Microsoft and Telesecurity Security Association, 26 October. A lot of good stuff happening there. So can you mm-hmm. talk a lot about CoFence, what it's all about, why you're there, and why it's an awesome organization? Yeah. yeah, so I so I when so I actually am a boomerang when it comes to CoFence. So I came here um back in 20, when was it? I think it was 2013. I initially started here and left about three years in, and I'm I'm back now. But it's something where when it comes to fish me, I always or fish me co-fence. I I'm still so I still can't wrap my head around the co-fence name. So I I still keep saying fish me because I was there for so long. And I, I love that name, to be honest. Yeah, too. I, I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> I, I prefer fish me. But that's that's just me. Um, sorry to all the readers who are listeners who were doing that. Sorry to my marketing team who were like, oh, why do, why do you say why do you say that? And so we're splashing else? the so, co-fence logo. Don't worry. Yep, we're yep, it up. Co-fence logo. Co-fence logo. <laughs> um, but the, but the thing I really like about the company is that. Compared to a lot of other security companies, we think differently about the problem. We try and go back to the human because at the end of the day, no matter how much technology that you throw at a certain problem, there is always going to be a better mousetrap. There is always going to be a better attacker to find this one exploit in that one system that you're going to go and do. Case in point, take a look at the iPhone where you have billions of dollars that's sent in order to go ahead and protect that thing, yet you have a zero-click exploit that can magically pop the system and stuff or whatnot. So all it takes is one instance of an exploit in order to bypass a technical protocol, no matter how much money you throw at it. But at the end of the day, no matter what device, no matter what sensor, no matter what thing you're using, there's a brain on the other end of that device that can learn, that can see, that can think, that can adapt for all these things. Um, and from everything that I've seen just with, with co-fences kind of being here since the early days, that's one of the areas that they usually try and hit is they try and hit that human aspect of it. So one of the main areas that we do is we do user awareness training around how to detect phishing emails. And we usually present different material to that user in order to understand, hey, you shouldn't have clicked that phishing email. Um, in addition to that, we give training on, okay, here's what to do to detect the next attack and everything. And when you think about it from that perspective, that person becomes almost like their own IDS system. They become that own sensor. So some of the other products that we have is we have the CoFence reporter button that the, or, that the user can click if they see something suspicious and report that into the security team in order to account for that and in order to kind of take that weight off of your security providers and your security practitioners um, we have a solution called triage that will actually take that information as that user reported it and scan it and see, okay, what other threats are in there? What are other things that they detected for this? Was this a user awareness training fish that we sent in in order to test user? Or was this actually an APT attack that your user was able to detect 
because they were able to spot the things that were not in there. And the great thing is that, again, no matter how much technology an actor throws at the problem, you still have that end user at the end of the day who is able to look at that and be like, no, this phishing email, this is weird because of X, Y, and Z. I've seen this thing over here that looks odd, so I'm going to account for that. Um, and that's the angle that a lot of our solutions hit is in order to understand how all well these things work. We've got a couple of the solutions, but those are the main ones. But again, it kind of takes that aspect away from, okay, I'm going to do all this malware detection and try and look at it from the human aspect of it. Um, we do cover some of the, um, some of the intelligence on our intelligence side um, because things like Emotet is still a problem for organizations. So we're aware of that. We're involved in a lot of things around that. We do a lot on the crimeware side too to understand how all these things work. And we do put mitigations in for that, don't get me wrong, but it's something where you've got, you have to capture it from multiple aspects. Um, and one of the big failures I see with a lot of security organizations is they focus solely on the malware and they're like, oh, it's a dumb user and stuff. They're not going to care and everything. They're not going to see and stuff. But it's something where at the end of the day, would you rather have that extra protection to where that one user might report the thing that, that their entire department got? And then you can go and successfully mitigate that by pulling it back out of the user's inbox and pulling it away? Or do you want to ignore that opportunity where your sensor, where something completely bypassed your sensors? It comes down to admitting that there are things that we may not be able to detect and mitigate against. So when you go and look at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, no, I'm not, I'm going to ignore the user and everything they said, but you need to, you need to account for that. So it gives another area and another angle to look at. And that's one of the reasons I've always loved CoFence is and well, very much the reason I came back was because it was something where we're doing a lot of innovative things in the space. We're trying to track a lot of these threats. We're doing them from a lot of different angles. And it's something where it's like, there's uh, uh, Rohit Balani, who's one of our founders and stuff. Um, he has a very good way that he words it. He says, you have innovators and you have imitators in the organization. And it's something where imitation is the best form of flattery or in, when, in terms of that. So it's something where there's a whole lot of ways you can do stuff. And when people start cloning the way you're, you're approached to do things, it's like, okay, cool. We're on the right path. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's something where, yeah, Im imitation is the best form of flattery in my, in my opinion on that. Um, but it's something where when you, like I said, when you start looking at it at the human aspect, you're able to get much deeper onto the psychological understanding of how these things work. Because again, at the end of the day, especially on the business email compromise side, there is no malware. There are no, there are no um, zero days. There are very few malicious URLs. So now accounting for that, how do you do it? You train your user, problem solved. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. You know, you stated more or less at CoFence, we try to go back to the human. And I, mm -hmm. I really like that. It's so, so much of it is. I mean, just making people aware, letting them understand what to do. And then, you know, like you said, having that option to click that button and report that information in, that, that's the next necessary step, right? Let people be mm -hmm. able to report what they see as suspicious. And then, you know, the, the smart guys want to break that down, can decide what this is exactly. But it gets people engaged and gives them an easy way to report what could be an item of concern. That protects everybody. I think, I think it's awesome. I mean, I think about my own inbox and you know, I share with my team every time I get some, some malicious, you know, email, you know, my, my daily notice of some voicemail that's been waiting for me or whatever else it is. And we, you know, we, we share those together as a team all day long because it's happening all the time and you've got to make sure people are educated, aware and having that reporting mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's really awesome. So really appreciate that. Copens is a great organization. Again, we'll include some links. We should check them out. A great solution. If you're, if you're, if you're responsible for recruiting your organization, you might want to check that out. Um, yeah, there's lots of ways to manage threat, threats and risks, and that can be part of your security solution. So, Ronnie, thank you for that. Let's step away from the 
serious issues is when I get to pivot a little bit here and I'm going to ask you three non-security questions, right? Right, right. Goofy, yeah, yeah, goofy, <laughs> off-topic questions. Not, nothing dangerous, nothing okay. dangerous. It's a chance for us to get to know you better and okay. kind of hear a little bit more about you. So quick questions, I'll shoot it out there. Your job is to just not think about it, just throw out the answer. Fair? 42. All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the greatest five-book trilogy of all time. You know what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about, or you don't, but that is the answer. Yep. Yep. so many key things but let's let but how many millions of years in order to know what the question actually is that we need to figure right. out <laughs> and then okay. the people who have no idea are like what are they what talking are they about doing? what are they referring to yet the people who know they're like busting Google their Douglas Adams, right now. Douglas Adams 42 you'll you'll you'll, you'll yep. find yourself some great, great reading material right there so all right so first one right you're looking very handsome today for those that are watching you. your channel and see for those who are listening I assure you he looks great but you've had quite a few hairstyles and your head's mm -hmm. had quite a few different colors over the years so any favorite hairstyle that you've worn and why that was so my favorite hairstyle and this is actually an easy one so my favorite hairstyle is blue nice. and the reason for that is because there was one year so I, whenever growing up, I always wanted to dye my hair blue. My parents like, no, you're not going to do that. And I got older. I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and do this. So I did what everybody does at DEF CON. You dye your hair, you go through, go with a different color and stuff and whatnot. So we have a friend here who is a hairdresser who's really good at dyeing it. I'll usually get it bleached, dyed, several rows. It's solid. It's blue for two months. Uh, look, looks good. She does a great job and stuff and whatnot. Um, but one year, I could not get a hold of her for whatever it was because we just completely quit missing each other. And I went to DEF CON. I legitimately had people pissed because my hair was blue. They're like, Ronnie, your hair is supposed who to be blue all the time. They're like, who are you? What's up with your hair? I like, I had so many complaints. I'm like, fine. Every single year I go to DEF CON, I'm going to be having blue hair. And it's a really, really funny story to tell to your church when you have blue hair every time come late July, early August and stuff and whatnot. They're like, oh, what's the blue hair guy doing and stuff and whatnot, which is how many of them met me initially which is a whole nother story but it's something where it's like the, the blue is definitely the way i like to go um i also like it long i'm and everything just because it's like i don't have to worry about it too much um i'm a very no frills type of person i'm like if i'm like shampoo and conditioner i'm good so i'm like yeah just the, whatever the easiest way is to not yeah. have to worry about it. but yeah blue is probably my favorite hairstyle i've done so far and well, i will continue doing it if I could recommend Honolulu blue, there's really okay. colors that might be, you know, even more, more good, but I appreciate it. I, I had long flowing locks for, for many years in, until uh, I cut it all off one day in high school. And then I had like a normal guy haircut for like maybe two weeks and I was, and then I started shaving it. Cause same thing. I couldn't deal with combing and brushing and maintaining. And so, mm -hmm. and now I shave it and I'm done and I call it a day and it makes my life easier. My, my youngest son has beautiful flowing locks. So and, and for all the speaker and for all the people who are listening, he does not have long flowing blo uh, no, locks no, right now. Not it's all, there's it's, nothing up there. <laughs> it's, about, it's about a millimeter long, but I always emphasize yep. it's a choice. It's shaved. Oh, yeah. Bald, so mm. you know, there's, there's anything wrong with that, but just saying. Just saying yeah. <laughs> all right. So second question. Thank you for that. But a second question. If I was offering you a million bucks, the charity of your choice, where are we putting that money? Uh, so I would honestly go like point right back to Nigeria again. Um, it's something where the dollar goes much further than it does here. So even a couple hundred bucks can be a legitimate opportunity for somebody. So it's something where if you were able to take that million dollars and start working to give people legitimate opportunities, you would do much more good doing that um, and actually make a lasting impact in order to do that. 
Um, and it's something where it's like, that's truly what I believe is that you could go and do a whole lot of good in Nigeria and for very little money. And it's like, people just need to realize that, that it does not take a lot to go and actually make an impact over there. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I'm a big believer that, you know, you've got to, I believe you pay for the technology that you use, right? So you find some free, awesome thing online that you like. I big believe that there's an option to pay for it or support somebody, you know, mm -hmm. buy that cup of coffee, help that person out. And then with, with charitable contributions, it doesn't have to be a lot, right? But if, if there's something mm -hmm. you believe in, you know, help help fund that mission. That, that's mm -hmm. awesome. And that's a great one. If we're going to change the story of this criminal behavior, we got to help put the resources to it. So really appreciate that response. That's, that's great. And so um, with that, we'll go to our third question. And as I wrote these out, I realized that I tend to ask a lot of questions about music and food. So you know where my head tends to be, but today we're going to go with food. So okay. good, good, you're good call, deposited good call. on the proverbial desert island, right? Which happens okay. to have an unlimited amount of one kind of food, meaning a specific food item, but it only has that one kind of food. What mm. are you choosing to eat and stuff your face with for every meal, every day for the rest of your life? So would it be an ethnicity of food or like one specific item that I would eat for the, for so now? I was looking for one time. item, but I mean, you know, this is just for fun. So take it however you want, Ron. Okay. Go, go there, feel, feels right. Okay. So if I, if I had to pick like an ethnicity of food that I wanted to eat for the rest of my days, it would hands down be Indian food because of how many different flavors you can put into that food and stuff and whatnot. Absolutely love Indian. We have a really great place here that has a good tikka masala. They've got the good chicken korma. Um, several different things that are delicious. So if I, and from there, like I would probably pick, God, I would probably, like, I would probably pick like either like a green curry, a tikka masala, a vindaloo, a korma, something like that. Um, yeah, as the one thing I would eat till the end of times. That's, so. that's all excellent. Mm -hmm. So I'm partial to Indian food. One, I love it just in general, but two, way back in the nineties, when I met my then classmate, who now is my wife of, of many years, we were supposed to be studying for a Spanish test. And I convinced her to skip that. And instead we'll go out, grab some Indian food in downtown Fairfax. We were both attending George Mason university. So our first sort of date was enjoying some Indian food. So I'm always partial to that, but I love it, man. Awesome. I, lo I love the spice. I love the sweet. I love the mix. I love the smell. Mm. I, I, I eat that up. So that's a, that's a great answer. So thank mm. you for that. So there you go. Now, you know a little bit more about Ronnie, his charitable thoughts, his wild hair styles, you know what to look for. If you're a DEF CON, you see a guy with blue hair, you know, you know who that might be now when you see him out there. And, uh, and his dad, the whole sea of other people who have blue hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Security. It's a, it's that, uh, it's an idea of, um, where uh, security through obscurity, where it's like, okay, everybody has blue hair. So hide among the, all the people who have blue hair. Yeah. So yeah. Look, look, look for the guy with blue hair. You'll find him. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for playing three questions with me and much yeah. more. Thank you for your time today, for our partnership and different efforts. I mentioned the effort with Faith-Based Dyshaw. Ronnie's playing a, a key role in the exciting cyber roadshow that Faith-Based Dyshaw is rolling out this year. So you can go to the Faith-Based Dyshaw website. I'll include a link for that. You can check out more and there'll be more to come about that. But Ronnie, thank you for everything you do every day to mm -hmm continue to do good work to frustrate the bad guys and limit their success. But before we wrap up, open floor, any exciting co-fence plugs or upcoming speaking engagements or anything exciting in your personal life that you want to share to be on record publicly yeah. for all time, the floor is yours. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, feel free to follow us at CoFence on Twitter. We got YouTube, so just search for us there as well. Uh, if you want to search my YouTube, if you like listening to me rant, uh, it's uh, my YouTube channel is literally Ronnie Rants. Um, because it's where I can rant about all things different Nigerian fraud. I cover 
um, different things on how to learn how computers work all the way down to here's the power supply and it goes from there. Cause I've done a lot of tech work and that's one of the root things is people just don't understand how these things work. Yeah. Um, if you want to watch me ramble on Twitter, uh, handle there is iHeartMalware. Um, and other than that, like if I had a closing thought, I would say continue taking the scammers for long walks off of short piers. <laughs> it's something where a lot of the scammer, when you're engaging with a lot of these scammers, by doing that, that's one less person that they're engaging with, and it absolutely destroys their train of thought. So by engaging back and forth with them, you're wasting their time, and you're actually costing them money. So the more people we have engaging with them, the better. Um, but when you do it, do it nicely, because it's something where you have another human being on the other end. And in some of these cases, they may either be captured there. Um, and there's, like I said, there's a lot of unfortunate cases to actually talk through that. But it's something where they may not be there by choice. Um, and it's something where a lot of them are literally trying to have the choice of feed my family or not. So do keep that in mind. Flip them if you can and have, put them on your side. Again, it's us for scammers at the end of the day. So. Thank you. It's an awesome perspective. I really appreciate your, you know, your compassion and how you're looking mm -hmm. at this, but also seriously, as you take the threats and, you know, all you're doing to counter those threats every day. You're, you're awesome. Well, again, well, for those listening, if you look at the show notes, well, the links that Ronnie just mentioned as far as YouTube, Ronnie Rance, and we'll have his iHeartMyWare Twitter link. If, you know, if you just click on them and, and subscribe to both those, follow those and, and learn more about Ronnie, keep up with all of his commentary and, and learning. So thank you, Ronnie. You've been awesome. I knew you would be, and I'm very grateful to be starting the year out with such a great guest. And for those listening, thanks for listening. Last year, we had a, you know, a huge growth in listening. We really appreciate that across all of our podcasts. And please stay with us and join me next month where we'll be still talking about cybersecurity, but from a very different vantage point, a little inside the Beltway 202 coming to us in February. Excited about that one. More to follow soon. This is the Gay 15 interview, my monthly interview with amazing guests and leaders like Ronnie and past guests from throughout our broad Homeland Security Risk Management community as you address a wide range of all hazards, topics, and issues. Please check out our other Gay 15 podcasts. I mentioned them before, the Risk Roundtable, the Cybersecurity Evangelist, Dave Pounder's Nerd Out Security Panel Discussion. They're all underneath one channel. So subscribe and listen and follow along. Give us your feedback. We're glad to hear it. You can reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at gay15.global. Until next time, Ronnie, thank you very much. And all those listening, live free and try to be at least somewhat reasonably safe. Thanks a and lot. And be awesome to each other. And be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ronnie. Thank you yes. very much. Yeah.